Let's take our Bibles today and let's turn over to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. Genesis, chapter 1 today. Genesis, chapter 1. It seems in the last years, especially the last 10 years, it seems to me, every time you turn the television on, it seems that somebody's getting a makeover. You ever notice that? Every single show on the planet seems to be trying to help people dress right or change their look. I mean, skin and makeup and their hair and possibly their clothing, of course. And even in some cases, they're, they're working on their, their self-image and they're trying to help them. And boy, they're even trying to get them to, you know, we're going to put you on a, a diet and we're going to try to get you to lose some weight. And then all of a sudden, they bring them out and parade them before their family and their family goes, oh! You ever notice that? You know, they're like, no. Now, there's been a couple, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go there. I'll probably make some enemies. But there's been a few times I've done that too and went, wow. You know, but, but I mean, honestly, it seems that everybody, everything's about makeovers. Everything's about a new you, you know. <clears throat> you know what? Um, today, I want to speak or preach a message I've entitled, The Creator Can Create a New You. The Creator He's the one that can create a new you. I mean, it's, it'll be a permanent change. It'll be something that can last. You know what I mean? It's not just something that's temporary. <clears throat> I've often thought, you know, well, I wonder if they maintain that makeover. 
You know, I mean, they work so hard, uh, the, the people involved, the, the producers of the shows work so hard to get them to look perfect. I mean, just airing, you know, makeup and doing all the stuff. I just wonder how they look the next morning. <clears throat> and the husband's probably like, where'd that girl go that I was with last night? I, I, you know? Or that guy, maybe, in her case. But boy, I tell you what, we serve a God that can do a true makeover. I mean, he'll provide you, create you a new you. Take your Bible again. We said in Genesis 1, let's begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. It's interesting, right off the bat, the Bible says, In the beginning, God. That's how the Word of God opens up. And basically, that's about as much as God does to try to prove that He exists. I mean, the existence of God is a given. Neither God Himself or His Word spends any time trying to prove the existence or His existence. He doesn't do that. I can't take you to a verse in the Scriptures that says, here's why God exists. It does not exist. The reality is, is that in the beginning, God. That's the bottom line. And so, therefore, it's a given. John Glenn, speaking about his view of the earth from the space shuttle Discovery, made this statement. He said, to look at the window as I did that first day, to look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God is to me impossible. Can you imagine that? John Glenn. To look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God is to me impossible, he said. See, the reality of God is so clear that, that in the Word of God, those who claim there's no God are described as fools. You say, boy, I get offended by that. Well, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. To somehow come to the conclusion that there's no God, he says that's foolish. Not only that, but that makes you a fool because the reality of God is all around you. It's made clear in the conscience. It's made clear in creation. It's easy to see there has to be an intelligent designer. The existence of God was assumed for the most part, at least till Darwin's groundbreaking book, On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. That was really the name of the book. He wrote another book later again that kind of outlined how men came from apes and stuff a little later in his life, but this one was literally the groundbreaking uh, book and material that would ultimately lay the foundation for evolutionary biology. I mean, it's considered uh, the, the, the textbook, if you will. It's the foundation. Darwin's book introduced the scientific theory that populations evolved over the course of generations through a process of what he called natural selection. We would say it maybe more practically, only the strong survive. Over time, scientists have introduced a number of twists and turns in the theory of evolutional biology, evolutionary biology, but when it's all said and done, the real foundation for all of it still rests on Darwin. In the 1960s, secular, a secular revolution kind of took place in the school system. And prayer and the Bible were removed and evolution took root like never before. Today, scientists and teachers are literally pushing to make evolution the backbone of biology lessons and plans. All the way from kindergarten through high school. They're trying to force the youngsters. The the, the real reality is, is that they're trying to convince school systems and leadership that children are capable of learning things that will ultimately lead to complex thought. Even at that young age, we need to begin pushing and teaching evolution. We need to begin laying that foundation so that as they get into those junior high and senior high years, they're able to comprehend those complex theories and thoughts. And I said theories, they wouldn't call them theories. But complex realities, they would say. By the way, anybody that truly believes in evolution does not believe it is a theory. They believe it's a fact. And the truth is, uh, is that it's being pushed and forced upon us. And the truth is that those that are advocating for evolution will not be satisfied till every single person is a believer in it. 
You say, well, you feel the same way. Absolutely, I feel the same way about Christ. Without a doubt, I'll not argue that. But I want you to realize they are equally, if not even more determined, to see everyone believing in evolution. As it stands today, misguided scientists have misinformed teachers and educators who have misled generations of parents and children. The result is a culture that is wounded by doubt and confusion concerning God. And the result, again, a pool of humanity that is bent on rebelling toward God or against God. And it is quickly embracing the rejection of God altogether. But I want you to know today that God exists and that the Bible describes His creative power. We see here in the book of Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God. And the Bible goes on to say created. And in verse 3 it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. He goes on in verse 6, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. In verse 9, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. In verse 14, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Verse 20, and God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. In verse 24, God said, and God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. In verse 26, we ultimately come to mankind when he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. What a creative act. What a great creative act of great power. Without great power, it could have never happened. God is the creator And we see evidence of that in the Word of God, and we see evidence of that in our own lives. We see evidence of that throughout the creation itself. How can you take a walk along a certain beach and not recognize the fact that that ocean didn't just happen? That when you go to the Grand Canyon and you look over those great canyons, you say to yourself, wow, that's just erosion. No, you think there's got to be something more. How can you go into a hospital hospital and watch your wife have a baby and think somehow that that was just an evolutionary means or possibility? No way, that is a God that created. This creative work goes beyond the universe and the world, though. It continues at a personal level in your life and mine. And I'm so thankful for that. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, you needn't turn there because we're going to move quickly. And you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. Even when we were dead, he says, in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. We see here that there's someone that's dead. Dead spiritually. Dead without God. Dead without hope. And yet the creator God is able to create a new man, a new woman. And make us alive. Quicken us. Make us alive in Him. What was dead now lives. That is the creative act of God. That is not something that you can choose to do on your own. That's not something that you can muster up enough strength to accomplish. You need God to make that new man, that new creature. And we are all born dead in sin. We're all born with the the sin of Adam in our soul, in our heart. The nature of sin. We need God to supernaturally forgive us and wash our sin away and transform and change our life. We see an example of this transformation taking place even in the life of David. Most have heard the account of David and Bathsheba. Turn, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 11, please. Second Samuel chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 and continue reading through verse 3. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, it says, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. 
And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Well, we know how it all turned out, probably. Most that have ever been in church at all have heard the story of David and Bathsheba. We have recognized and received the account over and over again. Maybe you've never been in church before ever, but you've heard of stories. And maybe you watched a movie of David and Bathsheba. We know how it ends. David sins, of course. He finds himself in a mess. A child is conceived as a result of his sinfulness. He ultimately seeks to cover up his sin. And he does that by literally killing Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba. What a mess David finds himself in. But in, in the, the scope of things, although it was a heinous crime, although it was beyond comprehension to many of us, maybe even today, the reality is, is that God was still not done with David. I don't know about you, but I am thankful that God is not done with me. Even in the midst of my faults and my failures, God still says, there's hope for you as long as I am here. And may I say that God is from the beginning and he'll be here in the end. There's no beginning. There is no ending. And he's everything in between. And as long as God exists, I have hope today. And may I say so to you. And so nonetheless, David sends his prophet Nathan to David. God says, it's time for you to confront David. And he comes to him and he says, unto, says to him, Basically, there were two men in the city. One was rich and the other poor. And he goes on to share a story that ultimately gets David very angry. And David says, man, you show me the guy who took from that poor man his poor little lamb. Of all the things he could have done, he could have gotten a lamb anywhere he wanted. He could have done anything he chose to do. But instead, he chooses to take away from that poor little man his, 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 little, his little lamb. Man, that angers me, David says. Who would do such a thing? Who would steal something so valuable to that man? He has nothing but that poor little lamb. Why would someone take that lamb when he could have anything he chose and go anywhere and get it? And Nathan says, thou art the man. Remember Uriah the Hittite? He's that poor man that has only a little lamb. And you have all of Israel. And you could have anyone or anything you chose, but you chose that little lamb. Now, how did David respond to all of this? How do people respond when they're confronted with their sin usually? I don't really need to tell you, do I? How did David respond, though? Well, he responded quite differently. Turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 51, please. Psalm chapter 51. We're going to begin in verse 1 again. It's interesting, we were in Genesis 1, 1 through 3. We're in 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 3. Now we're in Psalm 51, 1 through 3. There's something to do with this 1 through 3 today, right? You'll be amazed to know that I have three points to this lesson. <laughs> Actually, I have four. But anyway, maybe I'll cut one out just to make it more s- symmetrical. Psalm chapter 51, verses 1 through 3. Notice what the Bible says. Here we have now David's response. David's response to Nathan, the prophet, who confronted him of his sin, who caused him to face his sin. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I don't know about you, but David, he comes pretty clean there, doesn't he? I mean, he calls upon the Lord and he confesses his sin. Boy, I'll tell you what, that's important, isn't it? I want you to see David's request in all of this, though. Move a little further in that chapter, chapter 51, verse 10. I want you to see that he requests a new start. 
He says in Psalm 51 verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. David was well aware of the fact that what he had done had, had made him filthy before God, had caused him to be darkened with sin. And now he says to, to the Lord, he says, Listen, I need a new start. I've wrecked and ruined everything. I need a new beginning. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. He moves on and says, I need a new spirit and renew a right spirit within me. Because see, with every wrong action, it all begins with the wrong attitude. And David understood, not only have I done wrong, but my mind was wrong. My thinking was wrong. Oh God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. He goes on in verse 12 to say, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with, a, with thy free spirit. He says, Oh God, give me a new start. Oh God, give me a new spirit. Oh God, give me a new song. Now let's turn back to Psalm chapter 40, verse 1. And guess what we're going to read to? Verse 3. Psalm chapter 40, verse 1. David. Notice how he responds here in this particular passage. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. And he established my goings, and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Oh, wow. David received a new start, a new spirit, and a new song. You may need a new start today. Maybe you need a new start. Maybe you need a new spirit today. Maybe you need a new song. See, God can get it done in your life too. God can create a new you. You say, how in the world can he do that? Well, like David, we need to take some steps. By the way, you never get anywhere without taking steps. If I'm standing over here on this side of the stage and I want to get to that side, if I want to go from this plant to that plant, I can think about it all day. I can say there's so much distance between this plant and that plant. There's, there's so much ground to cover. I can see where I want to go. I got a vision of where I want to be. But it's not enough, is it? It's not enough to, to, to know that I'm here. It's not enough to know I want to be there. It's not enough to even know that I have to do something about it. I have to actually do something. I've got to take some steps. I've got to actually take one step and then put the next step in front of the other. One step in front of the other. Have you ever heard that song? I can't get it out of my, my head. I've been scarred for life. And you got to put one step in front of the other because if you don't step, you'll never get to your destination. <clears throat> May I say today, again, it's not enough to know where you're at. It's not enough to know where you want to be. It's not enough to know that it's going to take a lot of hard work. you got to step. You say, how in the world can I get that new start in my life? How do I get that new spirit? How do I receive that new song? You've got to take some steps. If you want to get that new start, spirit, and song, well, let me give you a couple steps to take. Number one, like David, we must call on the Lord. You got to call on the Lord. Now you say, what do you mean? I'm talking about, I'm not just talking about whether you're lost. I'm, say, I'm talking about Everybody. Whether you're lost today without Christ, whether there's ever been a time when you've received and accepted Him as your Lord and Savior or not, or whether you have, I'm talking to everybody. The fact is, is if you want a new start, a new spirit, a new song, you want to create a new you, you've got to take some steps. And the first step is you've got to call on the Lord. 
I remember years ago, and I've told the story before, but I got in a real mess in my trigonometry class, and I'd been not working or studying like I ought to. I'd been shooting pool down in the game room, and I'd been taking it easy and chilling and relaxing when I should have been studying my lessons. And I got to the, toward the end of the semester, it was actually the midterm, and I still remember that I was in a mess. I did not know for sure if I could even pass the test, let alone, I just was a mess. And I knew this was going to be trouble. And I was prideful like anybody else. I thought, I'll just study tonight. I'll pull an all-nighter. And I still remember breaking the books and cracking the books and looking at that material and trying to go through it, trying to get a whole half a semester in in one night. And I know that I'm an extremely intelligent, genius type of person. You know that too. But honestly, I couldn't wrap my mind around trigonometry a whole half a semester in one night. But I know somebody that knew it real well. My brother. He is a genius, and that's no lie. He's amazingly intelligent. And I mean to tell you, I finally got a hold of him and said, Ed, I need to get some help. Oh, Ed, I need help. I called him. He said, meet me in this particular classroom over there in that particular building at this time. He said, what time's that? Well, by the way, what time is it? I, you're, you're, you're a test. I said, it's at nine. Nine in the morning? I said, yeah. He goes, we're not leaving much time, are we? I said, nope. You better be good at what you do. <laughs> he showed up in that classroom and he started, he's like, what do you have a problem with? I said, everything. He said, again, the test is just in an hour and a half, Mark. You expect to be able to know everything in an hour? I said, no, I just want to pass. He said, all right, let's get started. He gets on the chalkboard, starts writing. And I said, where's that found? He goes, that's on page 86. I was like, what? what? 86. I turned to 86 and there it was. He had taken the class two years earlier. He knew right where everything was, even the page numbers. And I was like, wow. I got a genius helping me. And I'm going to tell you something. When I took that test, I passed it. I'm not telling you what grade I got, but I passed it. <laughs> I passed. But I had to call on somebody bigger than myself. I didn't have all the answers. I had to call my brother. He was an expert at math. You know what? When it comes to getting some things changed in our life, when it comes to getting that new start, when it comes to receiving that new spirit, a new song, when it comes to creating a new you, you got to call out to the Lord. Psalm chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. This is David again. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and I will look up. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? The more we get on our knees and bow, the more we look up. Isn't that amazing? It kind of goes contrary to what you think. If I'm looking down, how can I be looking up? But that's exactly what David said in the passage. He said, I'm going to get on my knees every morning, God. I'm going to cry out to you. I know you're my only hope. And by doing so, he was looking up. We got to call on the Lord. Number two, like David, we must confess our sin. We have to admit our faults. We have to come clean with our failures and our shortcomings. You don't receive God's help if you're not willing to go to God His way. I mean, you don't go to God unclean and say, now, fix my problems, fix my life, change me. You got to go to God and say, here I am with all my faults and all my failures and all my sin and all my wickedness. It's all here, but it's all I got and it's all you now have. We like to go to God and think somehow I'll clean myself up. I'll get some things taken care of and then when I go to God, He'll hear me. Then when I go to God, He'll answer me. No, you go to God the way you are, but you are willing to confess your sin. You crawl out to God, but then you confess your sin to God. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, notice it's an if. 
Because God knows there's not everybody's going to confess. But if you do, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No confession, no forgiveness. You got to confess. You got to admit to God where you've faltered and failed. You got to come clean with him. Someone says, I don't want to share my faults and failures with other people. Then share it with God at least. You don't have to tell everybody everything in your life, but you need to tell God. You say, I want a new start, preacher. I've made a mess of things in my life. I'm going down the wrong direction, or I'm not the person I want to be. I'm not the husband I ought to be. I'm not the wife I should be. I'm not the teenager I ought to be. I'm not the parent I ought to be. I'm going to tell you God can give you a new start today. And he'll give you a new spirit and a new song. But you have to call on him. He's your only hope. Well, I've got a book that someone told me, you need Jesus. Well, I, 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 can, I got a show I can watch that's dealing with raising kids. No, you need to get in the Word of God and find out what God has to say. Call out to God. He's the answer. And then confess your faults and your failures and your sin. Number three, like David, not only must we call and confess our sin, call on the Lord and confess our sins, but we must change our ways. Again, it's not enough to simply acknowledge our wrong. It's not enough to simply confess our faults or to, to, to mention our shortcomings. Well, God, you know, I, I don't do good reading my Bible. You know, God, I've struggled with prayer. You know, God, I'm going to be the first to admit I'm not the Christian I ought to be. Well, that's, that's commendable in one regard. But may I say that it's not enough to simply call on God. It's not enough just to confess our sins. Well, We've got to be willing to make changes. You know, we live in the world today where everybody's willing to admit things. I've got a pornography problem. I watch teenagers stand up in youth meetings, even with mixed crowds. It drives me nuts. I can't stand it. So flip it about their faults. Not even embarrassed to tell the girls that they got a problem with it. I can't stand that. Well, I got a pornography problem. Oh, trust God to help me. But two weeks later, they still got their phone. Still got their phone. Well, where are you seeing that pornography? On my phone. Oh, I see. You really wanted to change. I got a marriage problem. I know for a fact. Me and my wife don't get along. Well, that's good. I'm glad you recognize that. I'm glad you see that. But it doesn't matter if you do nothing about it. And I don't know why she left me. Maybe because you did nothing about it. I don't know why he left me. Maybe because you did nothing about it. You know, we're real good about confessing today. Everybody gets on shows. I mean, you even take the, 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 the uh, sports figures today. Everybody, well, I did this and I did that. And I want to apologize. That's good. Do you change your behavior? I'm going to tell you something. You want a new start? <clears throat> you want a new spirit? You want a, a, a new song? You want God to create a new you? It doesn't happen unless you put forth the effort to change. And someone says, well, it's got to be God. I know the Bible good enough. I know he began a good work in you and will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. But friend, nothing changes unless you change. I'm tired of God supposed to do the work. God's already given us all the tools. We act like it's God's job to take away my desire of lustful desires. It's God's job to deal with my, my, my indiscretions. It's God's responsibility to do away with all of my deceit. No, it's not. It's your job because he's already given you the spirit of God. And he's already given you the word of God. He's already given us everything we need. Now we just need to put forth the effort to do it. Husband says, I'm, I just can't get my, myself out of bed and get to work. I know it's a problem. Well, my friend, your family's still not going to eat. The bills still won't be paid till you do something about it. 
God's given you the help to get out of bed. Get out of bed! So you're pretty fired up. Yeah, I am. Because you know what? I don't know about you, but there's times in my life that I need a new start. Man, I want God to give me a new spirit. I want God to give me a new song. Sometimes I find my life starting to spiral away from the Lord. And I find myself in a place where I'm not quite as filled with the joy of the Lord as I used to be. And maybe in your life you've gone that route or maybe you've even gone beyond that. My friend, I want you to know there's still hope today. But you've got to do things like David did. You've got, to confess, you've got to call on the Lord. He's the only hope. You've got to confess your sin. And then you need to, I need to, be willing to change. Change our ways. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering we had unto you. Watch this. He's talking to the Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul now. He said, We've been watching you. Others have been watching you. We have seen what God has been doing in your life and how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. How ye turn to God from idols to serve the living God. These weren't people that just said, Oh God, oh God, forgive us for worshiping idols. They did something about it. They turned to the living God. They served the living God. They said we got to change our ways. It's not enough to just admit that we got a fault or a failure or a sin. It's not enough to just cry out to God for forgiveness. Nothing will change if we don't make an effort to change. Because God only works with those that work. I know God can do supernatural things. You know how he does it? Through you and me. He chooses to work in and through us, not in spite of us most of the time. Sadly enough, look in the Bible and look at what God does. There's things that God only can do, and there are things that he expects mankind to do. Remember when he raised Lazarus? We've talked about this in the past. He did not move the stone away. He made them do it. There are some things God says you must do, I must do, and there are things that only he can do. But too many times we expect God to do what we can. He's already equipped us and he's enabled us. Oh, may God help us to recognize the need not only to call out for the Lord, not only to confess our sin, but to also be determined to change our ways. And finally, like David, we must continue in Christ. Turn, if you would, to 2 Peter 1. We must continue in Christ. If you have a serious infection in your body, maybe an ear infection or, I don't know, some other kind of infection, maybe a, a bone infection even in your leg or something, and the doctor gives you antibiotics, and he says, you're going to be on these antibiotics for 12 days straight. Don't miss a day. Don't miss a time because it's important that you build up that, 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 that particular medication in your body. It'll continue to do its work, but you must take it consistently. You must take it every day. And you, of course, start taking it. And you know what happens a lot of times once you start taking that antibiotic? You start to feel a little better, you know? And you go, man, I, I feel a little better. I got a little you know, to my step again, you know. That's not hurting as much as it was. And my ear's not hurting anymore. Huh, the infection must have gone away. I'm only halfway through my prescription, but I think, I think I'm healed. I think I'm better now. I'm just going to go ahead and quit with the antibiotic now. I'll save it for later. A two-for-one special. We do that with pain medication, don't we? But anyway... I don't, you do. But, but nonetheless, we stop taking it, right? And what happens? Every once in a while, what happens? It just kind of creeps back in. And next thing you know, man, my ear's starting. It itches a little bit. Oh, it's bothering me a little bit. It's touchy. Ah! You go back and you say, I need to start taking those antibiotics again. And so you start taking the, half, the dose that you have left. It starts to help again, but if 
you didn't do it the way the doc said and you didn't follow the prescription, sometimes you have to even go back and get another one. So you got to follow through. you got to continue if you want the results. The prolonged result. Not an immediate result, but a prolonged result. If you really want what you really want, you have to do it the way it was prescribed. And continue. First, Second Peter 1, 5 through 10 says, and beside this, he, he goes on to say, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Notice he says, giving all diligence, add to your faith. What's he saying? Continue in some things. Continue in them. It's not enough to simply call out to the Lord. It's not enough to simply confess our sin. It's not even enough to determine to change and to take some steps to change. You got to keep taking the steps. You got to keep walking the walk. You got to keep going that direction. You can't stop. You got to continue. He goes on to say in the passage, verse 8, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. God, I've made a mess of things in my own life. Maybe in my marriage, maybe in my home, maybe at work, maybe just in life in general. Oh God, oh God, we're calling. I confess that I have failed you in this area and this area, and I'm very specific with that. Oh God, forgive me. I confess my sin. I agree with you that I'm wrong, not you, but me. God, I know I need a change. And I'm willing to take those steps. I know that I have to do something different. I know what your word says. I know where I ought to be. And I know what I ought to say. And I know what I ought to do. But I haven't been doing it. I make a determination right now. That I'm going to change my ways with your help, O oh God. And I take that first step. And I take that second step. And I take the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the seventh and the eighth and the ninth and the tenth. And I see God doing a miracle in my life. I watch him changing my marriage. I see him changing my family. I see him working in my children's life. I watch him at work in every place. I'm a witness for Jesus now. God's doing a mighty work. Oh, thank you, God. But sometimes that's where it ends then. And all of a sudden, where we were once taking steps consistently, adding to our faith, adding to our faith, adding to it, we start to go, I'm doing real good. I got it figured out now. My problems are gone. Thank you, God. And if we're not careful, we stop taking the steps that we took to get there. We don't continue If God's going to truly create a new you, then it's something that's got to last. Man, he's going to give you that new start. He'll give you that new, new spirit. He'll give you a new song. But don't grow weary of that song. The Bible says, don't be weary in well-doing. Oh boy, the, the glitter and the glitter of the world has a tendency to draw us away, doesn't it? But you got to keep taking those steps. He can create a new you. Maybe you're lost without Christ. You've never received him. According to, according to Ephesians chapter 2, as we mentioned earlier, you are dead in trespasses and sins. You need to be made alive in Christ Jesus. Only he can do that in your life. He can not only wash your sin away, but he can, as the Bible says, he can make you a new creature in Christ, a new creation. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Maybe you're a child of God today. Remember, he has the plan. He has the power. He's the creator God. If he can create a universe... 
He can recreate you. London businessman Lindsay Clegg, he told the story of a warehouse property that he was selling. The building had been empty for months, I'm, and, and an empty building always is, can be a bad thing. You know, it, it just, in this case, there were a number of needed repairs. Matter of fact, vandals had damaged the doors, they'd smashed the windows, they just trashed the place. As he showed a prospective buyer the property, Clegg was, I mean, he went to great lengths to reassure the, the, the potential purchaser that he would fix the broken windows, that he would bring a crew in to correct any structural damage, that he would clean out the garbage, do whatever it took to make it to his standard. The potential buyer looked at him and said, forget about the repairs. When I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different. I don't want the building. I want the site. You know, this is a building. And sometimes if we're not careful, we're trying to make repairs and clean ourselves up. See, God only wants the site. He he doesn't want what you can give him. He wants to do something miraculous. He wants to create something marvelous. He wants to do a miracle in your life, but he needs the sight. He sees planning a major overhaul, something completely different than what it is now. All he wants is the sight and the permission to build. See, God has the power, uh, the plan, and God has the power. He wants to create a new you today. What's lacking in your life? What area possibly of your Christian life do you say, God, I wish that was different? He can create a new you. Call on him. Confess your sin. I just forgot my own notes. Sorry. And then come to the conclusion that you've got to change your ways. And finally, last but not least, continue. I'm telling you what, God can do with you what you can't do yourself. What will you let God do in your life? How will you let him change you today? Is there a need for change? I know in my life there's needs. I'm sure maybe in yours there are too. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time we've had together in your word. We ask, Lord, that you'd speak to us and help us. Oh, Father, we are a needy people. And Lord, today there may be someone within the crowd that recognizes a need for some change in their life or something that needs to be different. Maybe there's some sin that has wrecked and ruined the relationship or maybe there's something in their life that continues to just eat at them. And it bothers them and they have to come clean with you. Father, we know you have the plan. We know you have the power. You're the creator God. If you can... If you can Manipulate matter. You can do what matters in our life. Father, help us now, Lord, to truly call on you today and allow you to do a work. And Lord, may we be determined to to change our ways and to continue in it. We'll thank you and we'll praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand.